discover the possibilities of internal medicine. Hi, um, so my name is Amanda Greco. I'm a first year medical student at NYU Long Island School of Medicine, and I'm a member of the New York ACP Medical Student Committee. And I'm honored to be here today with Dr. Kelly Ramsey. Hi, thanks, Amanda. So let me tell you a little bit about myself. So my name is Kelly Ramsey, and my job is I'm the Chief Medical Officer at New York State Oasis, which is the Office of Addiction Services and Supports. And by training, I'm an internal medicine physician and also boarded in addiction medicine. So Dr. Ramsey, why did you choose to go into the specialty of addiction medicine from internal medicine residency? So actually, my pathway started way before I went to medical school. So I first <clears throat> became interested in people who use drugs and in substance use and substance use disorder when I volunteered at a needle exchange in Santa Cruz, California in the mid 90s. So I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And I decided to go to medical school specifically because I wanted to work with people who use drugs, specifically people who use heroin. That was my chosen patient population. And I was also interested in treating HIV and hepatitis C. So I made the decision to uh, to work with that specific patient population long before I decided to go to medical school and, um, and then ended up doing a um, practice pathway in addiction medicine. So I did not do a fellowship in addiction medicine. Currently there's a uh, practice pathways based on your years of experience in working with people who use drugs and doing addiction medicine. So I was able to take advantage of that opportunity through ABPM and become addiction medicine board certified. Wow, that's a very great story to see coming from um, before medical school, knowing that already. So was there anything in medical school since you had this interest that you participated in to build yourself up to work in addiction medicine? So there really wasn't a lot about substance use disorder training in any of my training experiences mm -hmm. in medical school or residency. Because I had that interest, I sought it out. So I created electives that were in addiction medicine when I was a medical student. And then when I was in residency, after my intern year, I transferred into Montefiore Medical Center into their social medicine program. And that was shortly after buprenorphine had been approved by the FDA in the US. And so I ended up uh, getting my waiver to prescribe buprenorphine as a second year resident. And actually my current boss, who's the commissioner, uh, Chinazo Cunningham of Oasis, she was my mentor in residency and she's the one who paid for my <laughs> waiver training um, to uh, become buprenorphine waivered. So no, those opportunities didn't really exist when I went to medical school. So I was in medical school from 1999 to 2003 and in residency from 2003 to 2006, buprenorphine was approved in 2002. So I was fortunate that within my residency program, there was a buprenorphine program, but that's pretty unusual. Things have changed a lot since then, not enough, but it's better than it used to be. But really, I think I got maybe an hour of substance use disorder training throughout medical school. So you made the opportunities because you were interested. And graduating residency then and working in the field, how has your typical work 
day progress to your position now? What was it in the past? So it's a good question. And it's it's been very different along the different stages of, of my career pathway. So straight out of residency, I was the medical director of an OTP and opioid treatment program in the South Bronx. So I was a National Health Service Corps scholar. So part of that commitment was uh, to work in an underserved area. And I wanted to stay in the Bronx because I had practiced in the South Bronx during residency and that's where I wanted to stay. So I was fortunate that there was actually an opportunity to be the medical director of an OTP. It was interesting because in the interview for that position, I asked, is this really going to be interesting enough medicine? Because I was concerned that it would just would just be substance use disorder and it wouldn't be um, more of a spectrum of conditions that I would be treating. And not only did I have extraordinarily challenging HIV and hepatitis C cases, but I also practiced primary care in the OTP. So it was actually very interesting medicine. So I did that for about five years, and then I moved upstate and uh, became a um, medical director of a um, medical of a medication for addiction treatment program. So I started a program in an FQHC and then developed that and expanded that over almost a decade. I worked at the FQHC for nine years. So that was that was very different from the OTP experience because the OTP experience, you didn't really have appointments. People just kind of showed when they wanted to or needed services. And obviously in an FQHC, I had a busy clinical practice. So my practice was focused on treating people with HIV, hepatitis C, and primarily opioid use disorder. I also um, started and created a pain management program for them at the FQHC. So that was just a busy clinical practice. I did have administrative time as well, but I really um, enjoyed trying to make change, um, particularly around stigma towards people who use drugs, towards substances themselves, towards substance use and substance use disorder. And so started working on a county level in the various counties that the FQHC was in, working with the courts, working with the sheriff's department, working with uh, child welfare, trying to help decrease stigma and make changes. And what I had happen was um, this opportunity to move into Oasis occurred. And I realized while I would be giving up one-on-one -on -one clinical care, I had a platform on a state level that oversees the largest SUD treatment system in the United States to really affect change. And so I went in with really clear goals and what I wanted to accomplish in that system and, you know, have had great opportunities to try to move the needle on embedding harm reduction into the system, making changes uh, in how child welfare sees individuals with substance use. So interfacing with a lot of the other state and city agencies and trying to make change in this sphere so that people who use drugs uh, are basically understood better and um, have more empathy towards them in their interactions with state and city systems. So what does a typical work day look like now in this more um, broader level with committees and such? So it's really different. Um, I literally am in meetings all day, every day. So we, uh, since COVID, I was hired during COVID. And so we are still in partially telecommuting. So I commute, telecommute 
uh, two days a week. I have to go into the office three days a week, but it's varies. Sometimes I'm in meetings all day. I'm often um, editing or authoring documents and guidance documents. We are constantly interfacing with folks from other states, people within the state, other agencies, but also within my own agency. And again, really on bigger policy issues and and bigger um, guidance issues. So it's it's very different from being a clinician in clinical practice and working one-on-one with a patient. Because again, you're really trying to affect change on a, on a broader level. Okay. And what advice would you give to someone, say, in medical school or in residency who wants to get involved in the broader aspect of substance use disorder? So I think I think there are many things that you can do. You hopefully you wouldn't have to create a pathway in which you're creating your own electives just to mm-hmm. get just to get information. Um, hopefully people will have those tracks available to them either in their residency program or in their medical school curriculum. But there are opportunities through New York ACP. There are opportunities through NISAM, the New York chapter of the Society for Addiction Medicine, for medical students and residents and fellows to get involved. So I think that there are many opportunities, um, both conferences, which often medical students, residents, and fellows can attend for free. So kind of becoming aware of those opportunities of looking at webinars on CEI, which is Clinician Education Initiative, which is all on hep C, drug user health, and HIV. There's a lot of free training, and there are a lot of free webinars around. And there are also individuals, we have many addiction medicine and addiction psychiatry specialists in New York State who are very happy to share their expertise and their time with trainees. So I think there are many, many opportunities for people to get involved to see if it's if they already know they're interested in it or if they think they might be interested in it. Great. That's great to hear, especially that they're for free because money can be tough in medical school and residency. So that's wonderful. And in terms of addiction medicine, what do you find most rewarding about working in the field? So I think what's most rewarding is um, helping helping to decrease stigma so that people can see that substance use can happen to anybody. And that uh, if you hear someone's story, you will have empathy for them. And I think that the problem is that um, folks who use drugs get stereotyped and othered. And so you don't really connect with that person as an individual. And so I had a beautiful clinical experience for almost 20 years in treating people with substance use disorder, HIV and hepatitis C. And I felt like a lot of my job was helping people feel better about themselves, that the treatment that they had received within the healthcare system or at large um, really did had nothing to do with them and who they are, that that was really just a system that uh, that didn't understand them. So those one-on-one relationships uh, with people over time were really, um, really beautiful to experience clinically. Mm-hmm. And on the opposite end of the spectrum, what would you say is the biggest challenge? I still think the biggest challenge is stigma and um, and people thinking that it couldn't happen to them and really lacking empathy or understanding um, for the complexity of substance use disorder and individuals who have substance use disorder. So um, I think 
that is a huge barrier to care. Uh, it, it internalized stigma uh, is a barrier for people seeking care, and then stigma towards individuals seeking care, stigma towards, for example, medication for opioid use disorder. Um, all of those things just create uh, access issues and barriers for people actually getting evidence-based care for their substance use disorder and decreasing, particularly with opioid use disorder, their risk for mortality. So that is still our biggest barrier. So working in it, you, you see this effect, but you also see the reward of breaking down that stigma. That's so wonderful. Um, and why are you a member of the New York ACP, just to conclude? So I don't even remember how long I've been a member of ACP. I joined, I think, in medical school, so a, about a million years ago, no, about 20 years ago. So it's definitely one of my professional medical homes. Um, I love the camaraderie in New York ACP. I love their staff, who I've now known for many years. And I think that um, my I like being a part of the group because uh, they listen. And also, um, I am kind of the only one in my field in within New York ACP. So mm -hmm. I often bring that lens to the table that uh, people maybe haven't considered. And so and I appreciate that they can hear it and uh, incorporate it in what we do in New York ACP. Well, we certainly appreciate you and I appreciate that I was able to have this conversation with you today. Super informative and thank you for being a part of the ACP. Thank you so much.